Everybody, welcome to episode 172 of the Man of Screen Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'll be covering episode seven and eight of season two of the Salkine produced Superboy television series. First, I will finish off what we started in the previous episode with the second half of the two-part Bizarro story, the battle with Bizarro. And then we're gonna stick with comic book villains, and we're going to have the second of two Mr. Mixiat's Piddlet stories at the show uh gave us and we'll finish the episode off with mr and mrs superboy which will feature the return of michael j pollard as that infamous imp from the fifth dimension but before i get to the business of this week's episode i have feedback to address feedback this week is from dave mcelvenny and i really shouldn't say this week it's pretty much every week that feedback is from dave mcelvenny dave is right in on man the screen episode 161 and dave writes greetings mike I have to agree with your assessment of the relative quality of these two episodes. Kryptonite Kills is definitely better than The Invisible People. The Invisible People has, as its biggest weakness, trying too hard. I get that they're trying to address a serious issue and impart something of a moral lesson, but it seems to have been done at the expense of a well-written story. The moral gets through to the audience when it's part of an engaging story, and this one didn't quite hit that threshold for me. One thing I did enjoy was the appearance of Greg Morris, well-remembered for Mission Impossible whose son Phil would also appear on TV with a quote-unquote Superboy of sorts years later when he plays Jean Jones, the Martian Manhunter, on Smallville. Kryptonite Kills had the advantage of involving Kryptonite, which most viewers would certainly be familiar with, so that elevates the episode. The presence of Lex Luthor should also elevate the episode, but Scott Wells' portrayal of the one-day greatest criminal mind of our time leaves something to be desired. I do like the idea that Superboy, or Superman in the Golden Age, and in the post-crisis period, doesn't know about kryptonite or, or its effects, or, for that matter, the existence of krypton or its connection to him early on in his story. That knowledge gap presents opportunities for both danger for the boy, teen, man of steel, and character and story development over time. Of course, we can rely on two comic book pros like Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer to ensure at the end of the episode that we will see a return of kryptonite in the future. I'm looking forward to next episode's two-parter. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, I uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, Kryptonite Kills is definitely better than The Invisible People. And I said everything that I needed to say about The Invisible People during episode 161. You know, and I totally agree with Dave that the show was trying too hard. Give them credit. They tried attacking uh, some moral issues in uh, the first season of the show. Drug use, homelessness, other things. But... And the writing is just not there to uh, to take the episode really where it needs to go. And Dave is going to continue my education here. I did not realize that Greg Morris is the, is the uh, father of Phil Morris, who appeared as the Martian Manhunter on Smallville. He's appeared, it feels like, in almost every uh, genre show that I've seen, almost. I remember seeing him in an episode of Babylon 5. He had a very small role in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And if I pulled up his IMDb right now, I'm sure right. See that I found them in a whole bunch of places. And as far as Kryptonite Kills, uh, yeah. 
Kryptonite does elevate the episode to a certain extent. And I agree with Dave that the presence of Lex Luthor should also elevate the episode, but Scott Wells does not elevate the episode in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And like Dave, I do like the fact that Superboy doesn't exactly know of his origins. And throughout the entirety of the first season, they didn't. Nobody really talked about the connection between Superboy and what he called, I believe, Space Rocks in um, the couple times it appeared. It wasn't until the Metallo episode that they threw the word kryptonite out there for the first time. And with Professor Peterson's diary noting that kryptonite had a lethal effect on Superboy, but not, and that the rocks had a connection to Krypton and therefore named it kryptonite, but never postulated any connection between Superboy and Krypton. So that was a little bit weird during that episode. And I don't believe that really ever going to be dealt with throughout the course of this show so while there is a opportunities for story development over time for character story development over time the show does not take advantage of the opportunity i don't know why i guess it's just something the show had no interest in dealing with but that does not diminish the quality of future episodes but it is was quite jarring in the metallo episode where for kryptonite just be name dropped like that and just moved on and you're gonna see in this bizarro episode that even andy knows what kryptonite is and in seven episodes this is already the this is probably already the third or fourth episode where we've seen kryptonite so i'm really gonna hope that it doesn't become overused throughout the course of this season and the remaining two no i guess we'll just have to see as we go on but for now i'm gonna take a quick break play a podcast promo and when i come back The Battle with Bizarro. Hang around, folks. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run, plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my Super Friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me. All right, welcome back, folks. I'm going to start things off with The Battles with Bizarro. Original broadcast date was November 18th, 1989. This was episode 7 of season 2, directed by David Nutter, written by Mark Jones. Guest cast included George Shakiris as Professor Pat Peterson, Scott Rogers as the Burly Guy, John Brian Boyd as the Cop, Barry Myers as Bizarro, and Tom Nowicki as the Police Sergeant. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Superboy continues to writhe in pain from kryptonite exposure. Andy comes to Superboy's aid and puts the rock in the engine block of Lana's car. Superboy recovers and sets his mind to finding Bizarro and Lana. Meanwhile, Bizarro takes Lana to a furniture store in town and seals them in. Don't be sad. Music. Cheer you up. You like. Door shut tight. We not be disturbed. Disturbed, right. We wouldn't want that, would we? Police still have no leads on the whereabouts of the mysterious superpowered creature that abducted a college student earlier this afternoon. Police have confirmed Superboy suffered no permanent damage from his exposure to the kryptonite rock. 
you am sad? What you call this? Haven't you ever seen it here before? Where it go? Who are you? Me am Bizarro. I mean, where did you come from? Back at the lab. I hope we're not wasting our time. Huh. I'm afraid using real kryptonite on Bizarro was a waste of time. We've got to remember, he's a defective version of you, so it makes sense that only defective kryptonite can harm him. Now, the logic is simple. What's not so simple is recalibrating the duplication ray. Well, how long will that take? Ugh. Days. Well, we don't have days. These duplicates are unstable. They're like walking time bombs waiting to explode. I'm working as fast as I can. Well, tell me what needs to be done. I'm faster. At the furniture store, Bizarro tries to die in an entertaining Lana, although she's not having it. However, she does agree to dance with him. While they dance, a SWAT team surrounds the store outside. Bizarro gets angry when asked to come out and attacks them. At the lab, an urgent call comes through for Superboy's help, and he goes to the store. When Superboy arrives, he tries to talk to Bizarro. Bizarro! Why you come here, Superboy? You must let Lana go. No, Lana loves me. She not loves Superboy. In a strange kind of way, Bizarro. You are me. And I am you. Okay, man, suck around! Not to understand. It's not easy to explain. You're an altered duplicate of me. That's why we're twins, brothers. We don't look the same. We know sound the same. We have the same powers. We share the same memories. That am true. Still, there is something different between me and you. Something you're not telling. You were created from artificial matter. When a bolt of lightning hit the duplicating machine that was aimed at me. What? All that mean? Where you come from is not important. I'm your friend. What? All that mean? You're not alive, Bizarro. You're not living. No. Me not believe you. You tried to trick Bizarro. When Superboy explains that Bizarro really isn't living, he throws him into a police car and takes Lana into the sewer system. Superboy follows. They come out into an amusement park where Bizarro and Superboy begin to fight and destroy the park. Bizarro runs with Lana again into a funhouse as he begins to smoke. Bizarro, what's wrong? Me. Not feel right. Oh, he's becoming very unstable. He could explode any minute. Bizarre, you must let Lana go. You're going to hurt her. No, me and Lana, not let her go. The kryptonite isn't working. Something's wrong. Me, feel better now. The Bizarro kryptonite's making you feel better? Of course, how could I not see? Bizarro kryptonite has, has an opposite effect on him. Instead of hurting him, it cures him. Lana, not love me. Lana, love Superboy. 
me feel something strange. You have a tear. Now, we know what love feels like. It hurts. Sometimes it does. Then, we am human. And we will never hurt anyone, ever. I believe you. Lana and Superboy belong together. Bizarro know that now. We go. Bizarro. Me wish. Me never knew what tear is. Where will you go? Me will go. But me never cry. Again. They all go outside and Bizarro hands Lana a rose. Goodbye, Bizarro. Goodbye, brother. Me, have one? Bizarro life. Right, so this episode basically picks right up where this episode left off, and there's really not a ton to say about this episode, just on the sheer notion that this episode is mainly our 15-20 minute fight, and it picks up immediately after. We don't even get it previously on, which I found surprising, and while Superboy is uh, dying from the kryptonite, Andy shows up in his Christopher Reeve Superman costume, remember he and Lana were heading to a Halloween party in the previous episode, and... He makes a point of saying, this must be kryptonite before saving Superboy. Like I mentioned in uh, the opening when I was was discussing Dave's letter. For some reason, it's such common knowledge now that even Andy knows what kryptonite is. So uh, they don't know where Lana is. And when they say Lana could be anywhere with Bizarro, and by anywhere we mean Larry's Mart. Looks like it's part of this uh, strip mall here. And Bizarro can't understand why Lana doesn't want to go anywhere with him. You know, maybe the whole... Kidnapping and abduction has something to do with it. You know, Bizarro is doing everything wrong, and I almost feel sorry for him. He's trying to learn. He's never seen a tear before, so that just means that emotion is foreign to him. For all of his superpowers and ability to speak, Bizarro is only a day old at the most. 
You know, so he approaches everything as a child would. But the only problem is this child is as powerful as Superboy, and he can do a lot of damage without meaning to. And there are times when he does mean to do damage because he feels like he's being attacked and is defending himself. But, you know, I know I should kind of be coming down on Bizarro, but I just, I just can't. There's, it's clear that Bizarro doesn't understand what he's doing because he hasn't been taught and his mind is all muddled. He can't process things the way he needs to. He has Superboy's memories, but they don't make any sense to him. You know, overall, he's just kind of a mess. You know, imperfect, I guess, is as good a way to put it as any. And they are doing better with the speech. A lot more me am and you am and, Although they haven't really gone full opposite where, uh, you know, where Bizarro is saying things like best enemy and th- and uh, worst friend and things like that. And we got a radio announcement telling us where Lana is. Uh, this is the uh, Expositional Radio Network, a precursor to the ex- Expositional News Network, which Michael Bailey coined on uh, From Crisis to Crisis. And Kryptonite is so well known that not only does Andy know about it, but so does his radio announcer, so. Peterson is not going to postulate that they need defective kryptonite because Bizarro is uh, defective. I'm not entirely sure. I like the way they use the term defective. You know, he's not a poorly made baseball bat. He appears to be a living thing with feelings and emotions and all the baggage that comes with that. But the reality is, like the rose which blew up, Bizarro is a ticking time bomb and he is expected to explode. So now back at uh, Larry's Mart, Bizarro now has uh, trying to give Lana a meal, you know. Not bad, you know, yeah. he's trying, He even though he abducted Lana against her will, he is at least trying to defeat her, he wants to make sure she eats. The problem is, he's feeding her plastic fruit, and this is when the cops show up, and they're trying to uh, get Lana out, they want to rescue her from what they think is a monster, and they have no reason to believe that Bizarro is not some kind of monster. They don't have the understanding of him that we do, they just see big monster in Superboy costume. And Bizarro's upset. He truly, like, like I said, I'm going to keep harping on this. He truly doesn't get it. There is not a malicious bone in this creature's body. At least I don't think there is. But from his lack of understanding comes the ability to do great harm. And that's what's going to happen here. So Lana is trying to make him feel better, trying to get him to calm down. She's, while she wants to get out of there, she's doing her best to manage this situation. Going with the notion that if she can at least, you know, get Bizarro under control... I mean, I don't think she could ever actually control him, but if she can at least, you know, calm him down, his emotions won't run away with him and he won't cause needless destruction. It's a good try, but immediately here are some uh, SWAT guys who are going to foul things up. You know, and on TV, SWAT guys are always portrayed as overzealous and stepping on the uh, the regular uniformed officers. And Lana is trying to explain to Bizarro that the cops are trying to help. But the only thing he's understanding is their threatening nature. And because of that, he thinks they're bad people. He doesn't have the nuance of thought. He can't see that they're trying to rescue what they believe is a hostage. And they really shouldn't, even if Lana yells out it's okay, they really have no reason to believe her. There's no reason for them not to believe that Bizarro isn't making her say that. So even if this SWAT team looks, it seems a little overzealous there doing the right thing and trying to rescue the hostage. My one comment is, I'm not buying that this old man here is a cop, especially a field officer on the SWAT team. His 20 years have long since passed. Time to either retire behind a desk or 
retire at home. But this guy looked like he was at least almost 60. I'm not sure how old Tom Nowicki was when he played this role. And I can't be bothered to look it up, really. He's not that important, but he's got gray hair. He looks like he's 55, 60, probably way too old to be leading the SWAT team. But it's a low-budget show. You get what you can get. So the cops are opening fire on Bizarro, and it's having no effect. And the police are going to get now a gentle beat down with some super breath. So this local cop uh, does is probably the smartest person on the battlefield here. He knows they're outmatched. He's not suffering from a t- testosterone poisoning like, like the SWAT captain is. And he's going to call for Superboy. And they wound up calling him at Professor Peterson's lab. If only there was a way to make the lamp blink so Superboy knew he was needed. And uh, like I said, Superboy's at the lab with Professor Peterson helping him develop his uh, defective kryptonite because I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around Superboy's feelings toward Bizarro. It's almost as though he feels a kinship to him of sorts because Bizarro came from him. Bizarro was of Superboy in the sense that Superboy provided the genetic material that got him made. And he feels as though he could get through to him. Bizarro has Superboy's memories, but he can't interpret them. They're they're muddled. They're cloudy. He doesn't really know what he remembers. And that affects his understanding. So Superboy arrives on the scene and tries to reason with Bizarro and explains what he truly is and that they're twins and brothers. Superboy makes his one mistake when he points out that Bizarro is a duplicate of him and then he kind of drops the bombshell that Bizarro is not alive. And the creature's not buying that, and I don't blame him. He probably feels alive in every way that's important. So now this starts a big fight, which we knew was coming. So uh, instead of flying up, they go down into the sewers of all places. Bizarro has declared Superboy an enemy, which usually in Bizarro speak means that they're friends. You or me would interpret as Bizarro's best friend would be what Bizarro calls his worst enemy. Or maybe even best enemy. I don't, I don't remember what the exact wording is. But in Bizarro's mind, usually in the comics, friends are enemies and enemies are friends. So then they leave the sewers and they emerge through the shark mouth on a mini golf course. Lana looks all kinds of agitated. And we're going to be seeing a lot of irritated Lana during the course of this episode's coverage. And Superboy catches up with him. And now we're going to have another throwdown. Because at this point, that's all that's left now is for Superboy to throw down with his counterpart. and. In most cases, I would want Bizarro to be played by the same actor that plays Superboy. This might have all worked out better if Gerard Christopher played Bizarro as well, but Barry Meyer did a well enough job, and honestly, it probably would have been too expensive to have all that split screen with uh, Gerard Christopher and uh, Gerard Christopher if they had to. And and they'd probably have to put somebody in Bizarro makeup to, to be a double on the screen anyway, so... I guess there's no no real point in having uh, Christopher do both roles, even though it would make more sense. Being that Bizarro is a copy of Superboy, and Bizarro during this during the course of this fight, Bizarro declares he just wants to be left alone, which is a fair desire. But he, like I said, he only understands with the mind of a child. And our fight is going to continue. And throughout the course of the fight, Bizarro starts to smoke as his body is starting to self destruct. So eventually, Peterson shows up with the Bizarro Kryptonite, which is a pale yellow. I was expecting uh, the Bizarro Kryptonite to be blue. The uh, blue Kryptonite has the same effect on Bizarro that green Kryptonite would on Superboy, but it turns out that Bizarro Kryptonite heals Bizarro. And with this rescue, Bizarro seems to acknowledge that Lana loves Superboy and not him, and it's almost as though the light of understanding is appearing over Bizarro. He's not a fan of love, and he finds it painful. Yeah. It can be, especially when things go bad or don't go your way. So now, you know, 
Bizarro might be thinking clearly now for the first time ever. His body has been healed, so maybe his mental faculties are improving as well a little bit. He promises never to hurt anyone and says Lana and Superboy belong together, and Bizarro offers to leave. I don't know where he's planning to go, but he's, he's going there. There are no square-shaped boards out there that I know of in live-action television. I know there's one in the comics. But, you know, Lana gives him a little peck on the cheek, and he's going to go somewhere where he will never cry again. So overall, I like how Superboy and Bizarro acknowledge each other as brothers of a sort, and he starts to understand the motions at the very least, and I think he's realizing what he did wrong. Again, not evil, very childish, not a malicious bone in the body, but just a child that get, when he gets wound up too much can cause a lot of destruction. So Bizarro thanks Superboy for giving him life, and I think Superboy is slightly conflicted about the idea that he gave Bizarro life. And then the creature flies off into space and is gone, at least until he makes his next appearance. Now, that was kind of bittersweet. Not as much to say about the first part as it really is just a long fight with some bizarro lore thrown in there to give us an idea of the character. But I enjoyed that. You know, in the end, it made me feel for Bizarro. So I guess in that respect, the episode did its job. But at this point, I'm going to take a quick break, play another promo, and then I'm going to come back with Mr. and Mrs. Superboy. Hang around, folks. Hey everyone, I'm Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. You might remember us from such show as From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Whatever happened to that show? Well, it went away and now it's back. We're back? That's right. After taking a year off and having a preview episode on April 1st, all new episodes of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast will be available for download or subscription on your favorite podcatcher starting on May 30th, 2018. We have a lot to talk about right away, like the aftermath of the death of Clark Kent... The end of Season 2 of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. All of the Superman-related annuals under the Year One banner. Superman v. Aliens, Dawn of a Really Good Crossover. And so much more as we continue through the triangle-numbered books and the related books for the second half of 1995 as we gear up for that line-wide crossover, Underworld Unleashed. Starring the newly revived Lex Luthor and the Superman crossover, The Trial of Superman. And right around the corner, there's a wedding and a major change for both the costume and powers of the Man of Steel. There's a wedding? Who's getting married? Plus the side titles, miniseries, and one-shots that we've been really excited to tackle. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Covering the post-crisis on Infinite Earths era of Superman. New episodes drop on Thursdays, mostly. Unless they don't, but there's usually a very good excuse. Show notes, images from the comics covered, and back episodes can be found at www.fortressofbailytude.com. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to finish things off with Mr. and Mrs. Superboy. This is episode 8 of season 2. Original broadcast date was November 25th, 1989. It was directed by Peter Kiewit and directed by Migdia Skarsgård, Jania, and Denny O'Neill. Guest cast included Michael J. Pollard as Mr. Mixias Pitalik. Richard Keel, best known for Jaws and the James Bond movies, is Vicka Bach. Scott Rogers as the burly guy. And John Brian Boyd as the cop. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. 
Big Sam's Piddle appears inside Clark and Andy's dorm room calling for Superboy. Then a giant man appears. He's about to attack Big Sam's Piddle just before he disappears. The man roars, shaking the room enough to make a mess out of it before he too disappears. Out at the pool, Clark, Lana, and Andy are relaxing when Mixius Pitalik magically emerges from the pool, followed by the giant. The man grabs Mixie and they both disappear. Clark sneaks away and flies in as Superboy. Mixius Pitalik sent me a message, a plea for help. What's a Mixius Pitalik? You know, you should have seen the thing that was after him. No wonder he needs help. And him? Of course. A huge giant. I mean, it um, looks like it was about to kill him or something. Fine. I don't care. I don't want to know. I don't need this. I am out of here. Oh, you two. Whoa. I'm back. All right, Mrs. Pitalik. What's it this time? Not even a hello. A how are you? How you doing? Can I lend a hand? I'm disappointed, Soupy. I came down to this dimension. I thought you were the one guy that cared about the little fella. So, this is Mrs. Pitalik. What a geek! Andy, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, nice outfit, pal. Who took a bite out of your hat? Yeah. Anyway, El Supo, I got this problem. And here comes this problem. The giant reappears and makes another try for Mixie, and they both disappear again. Superboy does the same. Clark comes over as Lana helps Andy out of the pool. He realizes he has a problem when the long hair on his head is real. Out on the street, the giant man attacks a mailbox, thinking that Mixie is inside. He then manhandles the pickup truck. When the owner of the truck confronts him, the giant, announcing himself as Vickabok, turns him into a tomato. At the dorm, Clark returns to the messy room and uses his super speed to clean it up, just before Andy walks in. His hair is back to normal after getting it cut. After he turns on the radio, Clark overhears a report that a building in town disappeared. Clark makes a break for it, but not before Andy brags about an upcoming date with Lana. In town, Superboy arrives at the side of the building's disappearance. Mixie appears and explains why Vickabach is after him. Mrs. Pitalik, where are you? Right over here, my blue-suited friend with the red cape. So what's been keeping you? You know, it's no fun being pursued by this thing that looks like a locomotive. Mrs. Pitalik, this building is gone. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean to replace it, but uh, I think the doors are in Pittsburgh. This bully Voldebach, he must be really mad at you. Mad at me? That doesn't even say it. Really, Fury says it better. <laughs> Any reason? Well, I just played this little practical joke on him. I took away everything he had, and I uh, put him on his desert island for 103 human years, and I gave him a bad case of athlete's foot. So Vilkabach wants revenge. You gotta help me, Soupy. Come on, please. All right, I will. Providing we can reverse everything that Vildebach's done in this dimension. Oh, okay, so we got a deal. That Vildebach can't touch a nymph from the fifth dimension who becomes a citizen in this dimension. And I figured out how we're gonna do that. You know what it is? You and Lana gotta become my mom and dad. At the dorm? No, no, I. this is totally insane. Hey, my little gal pal. <clears throat> it's not my fault. I was born in the fifth dimension, and then I'm supposed to create havoc. The only way we're gonna get rid of both of them is by playing along. 
We've got to become parents. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. We better hurry up or Vildabar's going to destroy half the city. Mixie teleports him to his home. Vickabot comes over to play. After a time, he insists that he stays for dinner. After dinner, he wants to stay for the night. When the, when the parents agree, Mixie and Vickabot go up to his room. Andy shows up. Andy, so... Looks like you guys had a big party, and when it came time to write the invitations, I was just overlooked. Andy, this is not a good idea. I've been looking for you all over. I saw your car outside. I thought we were going to see a movie tonight, but I guess she had other plans, didn't she, Superboy? Ho! Oh, what, this guy again? Are you their son, too? Chief, if I play my cards right, this red-headed bombshell is going to be my bait, comprende? But she's married to him. Oh, big guy. Nothing's a little bit mixed up here. See, these two are just friends. Platonic friends. Oh, now I'm getting very angry and ashamed of all of you. You lied to me. But I'm very happy because now I get to kill him. Many, many, many times. Uh-oh. Look, I can see it's probably the wrong time, and I'm probably bugging you, so why don't I just damn scray, huh? You're right! You are a bug! Vickabot gets angry and turns Andy into a bug. When he tries to squash him, Superboy stops him and they begin to fight. Superboy is no match for Vickabot's magic, and is nearly defeated until Mixie gives Superboy enough magic it's Vickabok flying through the window with a punch. Superboy, you did it! With a little help from my magic. Yeah, but we still have the problem of getting this big guy back into the fifth dimension. We gotta get him to say his name backwards. I got a plan. Vildebach, you're in big trouble now. The Cobbacliffs are after you. The who? A Cobbacliffs, what are you, deaf? What's a Cobbacliffs? There, I got him to say his name backwards. Now all the damage he's done has gone back to normal. <laughs> you proud of me, Soup? I'll be proud of you when you're gone, which is gonna be now. Oh, soup. That means I gotta wander around for 90 days in the fifth dimension. Bilderbach might be after me again. That's a chance you're gonna have to take. We did our part. Okay, okay, I do owe you one. Well, sweetie, next time you're in the fifth dimension, look me up. Hilton Dixon. <laughs> I'm, uh, Andy, Andy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you all right? <laughs> All right, so it is good to see Mr. McSess Pedalik again. It's always good to see comic book-related concepts make an appearance in live action. You know, some of these things in live action are not easy to do. It's not like an animated series where you're limited by only what you can animate, you know. In this show, you actually have to make Michael J. Pollard float and find ways to realize Mixie's magic. So you're limited by what the budget can afford, and due to that, 
you get some very strange story choices. Again, this episode is uh, at least partially written by Denny O'Neill. And honestly, these couple of episodes kind of remind me why I like Denny O'Neill more as a street-level writer. You know, he's known best for Batman and for some very uh, street-level Green Lantern work in the 70s. You know, he did that famous hard-traveling heroes storyline with uh, Green Lantern and uh, Green Arrow, where they realized that the re- that Roy Harper had a drug problem. So Denny O'Neill, bread and butter, is really in the street-level stuff. That's why I was kind of interested they tagged him to do Mixie's Piddle episodes of Superboy. I bet he could do a great crime story for this show, but it's just weird they tagged him, of all people, for two Mixie's Piddle episodes. And the one thing, when the comics writers come back for sequels, there are no shortages of references to the past episodes. Like, as soon as Mix- Mixie appears in front of Lana, she's all, not him again. The episode starts with Mixie's Pitalik, who needs help, which happens on occasion. And then Richard Keel, who, like I mentioned before, best known as Jaws from the James Bond movies, arrives from the Fifth Dimension as well. And it's pretty obvious right off the bat that's what Mixie needs help with. So, it's always summer in Florida. Here is Andy checking out the girls and flirting with Lana. She wants no part of it, but at the same time, she's uh, letting him down playfully. And seeing Clark here at the beach reminds me that there was no Clark Kent at all in the previous episode. So, let's talk fashion here for a minute. Andy and Lana are at the pool in their swimwear, which is what you wear to the pool. Very tasteful swimwear, you know, not overly uh, provocative or anything like that. Lana is in a very tasteful one-piece, and... Andy wearing a short and wearing, you know, swim trunks and an open uh, shirt. Clark, however, is in a long sleeve polo shirt, shorts, and grandpa socks that almost go up to his knees. And of course, he almost falls out of his shoes. Sandals with socks on. Oh my God. I mean, Clark doesn't need to be super hip, but he doesn't need to be this nerdy either. And this clueless and out of touch. I mean, hell, it's not like he wasn't wearing shorts anyway. He could have worn short sleeves. He doesn't have to have the costume on underneath his clothes all the time. He's fast enough that he can do it, that he can get in and out of it himself very easily without it being on all the time. I mean, sometimes I think Clark needs to dress better for the occasion. So Clark is over, comes over to the beach chairs. He moves his towel and he spills some juice on Andy, which annoys him. And I mentioned uh, Lana's reaction when Mixie appears at the pool. The, oh, no, not him again. That's probably how I would feel as well. And what's worse is now that there are two of them. And... It took everyone a few seconds to notice Clark was gone, and then Superboy shows up. So at least now that awful outfit Clark was wearing at the pool is now out of my sight. So they all know what a mixed-ass pitilic is. Andy is frustrated that no one is telling him what a mixed-ass pitilic is, and at least then the imp is at his feet. And now he knows what a mixed-ass pitilic is. So Andy is going to make fun of Mixie, and he gets put in drag for his trouble. Very mature. That joke wouldn't fly today, but... Alana appreciates the humor in Andy, who tries to act the very macho uh, guy, and you could tell that he's not. But, you know, Mixie put him in a dress with real long hair because he thought it was funny. Lana appreciated it, but Clark looked embarrassed. So, in the last Mixie episode, I liked how John Hames Newton played a very irritated Superboy. And one of the things I tried to focus on was seeing if Gerard Christopher does the same thing. He kind of doesn't where John Hames Newton was more exasperated and irritated with Mixie's Pitalik, Gerard Christopher's version of Superboy seems a little more bemused by him. And uh, so now, uh, Wildebach, who at first I was just calling him Jaws, because that's where I know him from, and he just 
takes very deliberately looking for mixing under cars and other stuff. It's like very drawn out, very boring. It doesn't really make, you know, maybe you do a couple quick panels of him looking under stuff, but just him picking up everything in front of him and looking underneath it for mixing his pillow like, just doesn't really make compelling television. And I was starting to get bored. Then we get the burly guy here complaining that, uh, Vladabach is messing with his truck. If I were him, I'd stay away from a guy that size. And our grieved pickup truck driver got turned into a tomato and goes splat. I wonder what actually happened to him. You, you know, when the uh, creatures from the fifth dimension go back, everything they've done magically is usually undone. So I really hope uh, that guy was uh, restored because when he became a tomato, he exploded all over the landscape when he landed on a windshield. So now Clark returns to his room, finds the mess that. Mixie left in the opener, and he goes and uh, cleans it up at super speed. And then Andy shows up back in the room, because we're always glad to see Andy. And uh, his hair is now back to normal. He went for a haircut to uh, cut the uh, the take care of Mixie's Pitalik's, uh restyling job. Someone should have told Andy all he had to do was wait for Superboy to find a way to send him home, because then everything he did for magic would be undone. And I guess Andy didn't want to sit and wait and have to explain. So Mixie made a building disappear, and that's his method to get Superboy to show up. And this is when they make a deal. You know, they, if you remember, they made a deal in the first episode, too. Now we're making another deal. Superboy will help Mixie's Pitalik if he undoes all the uh, damage that Valdemar has done. So in order for this to work, Mixie has to become a citizen of the third dimension, and Superboy and Lana have to adopt Mixie's Pitalik. And that, boys and girls, is when this episode flies off the tracks. And... Instead of Superboy this time around, Lana is the one being irritated the, the most. She's the one rolling her eyes and huffing a lot. She wants no part of this plan, but Superboy kind of has to talk her into it just to get rid of him. At least Mixias Pitalik isn't uh, trying to marry her this time or otherwise mate with her. That's already happened at least three or four times this season already, making up only 50% of the output of the season so far. So, so now they have to kiss to prove to Valtabak that they're married. And now they, then they have to cook for him. Well, when they cook, basically what happens is Mixie uh, makes food appear. But it's just this whole, con- I don't even want to call it comedy. It's not funny. It's just Mixie and Valdebaga acting like children. And it's damn uncomfortable to watch, to be totally honest with you. And the episode is starting to get on my nerves. Who thought this script was a good idea? Lana wants to know how much longer they have to put up with this. And that's almost uh, kind of meta because I'm wondering the same thing. How long do I have to put up with this? And by extension, how long do you have to put up with me not not wanting to put up with this? So now Mixie and Valdebach are friends. They're going to have a sleepover. And now Andy's lust for Lana is going to ruin everything as he comes in and he blows their cover. Because after all, how could Andy have a date with Lana if she's married to Superboy? And that just makes Valdebach angry and a fight ensues. But before the fight ensues, Valdebach uh, turns Andy into a cockroach, which... He's a good look for him, and Mixie pretended to step on him, which <laughs> I have to admit, even though I really don't like this episode, I love the eye roll Lana gives him. You know, Mixie thinks he's funny. Lana does not think Mixie's funny at all, although I still think he should have stepped on Andy. So now we've got a fight that Superboy is losing as he has no real defense against Valdebach's magic, and he, the big guy is throwing Superboy around. And at least until Mixie gives uh, Superboy a magic boost. And with a magic punch, he knocks Valdebach out the window and into unconsciousness into the ground. So now Mixie's plan is to get Valdebach to say his name backwards. 
and he creates a police car saying that the that they're after him, and instead of police, it's written, Battle of Boxing is written backwards. He reads that, he goes home, and now perhaps the uh, only funny thing in this episode happens in the final moments as Mixie tries to uh, grope Lana as he's leaving, which that on its own is not funny, but she goes to slap him, and as he departs, her hand goes through the air where he was, and uh, she slaps Andy instead. She was probably dying to slap him anyway, because he's got a very slappable face. So, took eight episodes, but I think we finally got the first dud of the season, too. I even like the young Dracula episode better than this one. This particular episode was just terrible. And honestly, Denny O'Neill, I expected better from you. Maybe you're best served sticking with Batman and the street-level heroes. So, that takes care of that. Next time, episodes 9 and 10 programmed for death and superboy's deadly touch in the meantime if you want to leave feedback it's always welcome man screen at gmail.com if you want to join the conversation over the facebook group just put man screen podcast your search feed and the show should come up you can also find the show on twitter at man screencast and uh, if you don't mind uh, why don't you leave me a review on apple podcast that helps others find the show as well till next time folks we're all on the same team good night The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.